0: Is strictly John Keith. Strictly John Keith. On City Talk 105.9.
1: Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome to another edition of Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Now, there aren't many footballers who can claim a hundred or more international caps, but I'm delighted one of that distinguished breed is my studio guest, a former Everton winger who helped the club mock the odds and qualify for the Champions League in 2005. He's now building a reputation as a TV and radio pundit after publishing his highly readable autobiography simply titled Killer. It's a warm welcome to former Republic of Ireland star Kevin Kilban. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. No worries. Thanks, John. And joining Kevin in the studio, two men closely chronicle all that's happening in Merseyside football. The Liverpool Echoes Everton correspondent Greg O'Keefe and Liverpool correspondent James Pearce. Thank you, gents, for coming up the top of the city tower to join us. Now, all four of us, of course, were at the Merseyside derby Last week, um, the 222nd meeting of Everton and Liverpool, won that for very different reasons. I suggest will never be forgotten by the two clubs. Um, all four of us covered the game in immediate capacity. Kevin, could I just start with you? Mm. Uh, although, of course, we're speaking before the end of the transfer window and the weekend games. Um, what's your reflections on on the match? It must have been. I know you're an objective pundit yeah. now, but as a former Everton player, it must have been rather painful for me. It you.
2: was. It was a little bit painful to watch. It was. and I think Roberto Martinez, after the game, mentioned about the intensity. I think Liverpool, Liverpool got it right at them. And I think one thing I noticed through the game the way that Everton do play we know that they, 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 they pass the ball very very well and and then they'd like to have then off the back of say several short passes a long diagonal ball but Suarez was taking up a position that was discouraging hitting a diagonal ball which he predominantly would be left to right out to John Stones he was putting them off that and I just think felt Everton and them were on the back foot a little bit and when yeah. they were in possession it would, they were never really going to hurt Liverpool and of course up front Sterling uh, Coutinho with Suarez and Sturridge those four closed the Everton mm. back line and midfield down so well and Everton just couldn't get out and they found it so difficult really to to get any real momentum going forward and and their outlet was always Morales I think if Everton were going to get back into it it was
1: always going to come through Morales Yeah, yeah. I mean it was said by some after the match that maybe Martinez for once got it wrong and he took too many chances with too many players on Mm. the fitness level maybe well, a couple didn't look
2: right, you know. Mm. Stephen Pienaar didn't look right. You, you have to say that um, Phil Jagielka, you know, whether or not he was fully fit. I mean, the thing is that the good pros and they know how your body's feeling. You want to be, you want to be playing in a game like this. No. This is the the ultimate game, I think, for the season. For, for certainly, um, from from how it was built, and I think it yes. was it was it was a pivotal moment. I think in regards to that fourth uh, fourth place Champions League finish this season. But I think you're always going to try and even if you're not quite right, I think you're always going to say, yeah, I'm fit, I'm ready to go. I think yeah. Phil Jagielka would have said that, I'm sure would have, and Pino would have said it. And when there's these little doubts that's over you in your fitness-wise, you feel as though you're going to get through it because yeah. it's such a big game and that adrenaline yeah. will get it's you really through tempting, it. It's very tempting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm not saying that they weren't right, but no, they, didn't, no. they, did, they didn't look right. I've got to no, say, they, they didn't, didn't look just, right. No, and they that they is where, if you're looking at it from an objective point of view and you're watching a game,
1: they didn't look right. And mm. I think it cost Everton deal in the end, didn't it? Yeah, I think it did, certainly, yeah. Uh, Greg, uh, you're the uh, Liverpool Echo's Everton reporter, correspondent extraordinaire. What, um, <laughs> what, I mean, it's a few days after the event, but you must, uh, and they'll have played a match by the time this goes out, but um, you've never seen anything like that, have you?
3: No, no, I've, I've seen Everton lose or, or fail to win, rather, at Anfield too many times, oh. don't care to mention, but not like that. I mean, just picking up on what Kevin said there, I think... Before you even begin to sift through the the damage that that it did to Everton, you do have to credit Liverpool and and the fact that Brendan Rodgers seemed to get his game plan spot on. Kevin mentioned the the pressing and I think that really did work because obviously Everton's game at the moment under Martinez is about the passing side to side, trying to shift the opponents one way or another and eventually get the ball to, to Ross Barkley in a central area. And it just wasn't it wasn't possible because Liverpool pressed so relentlessly, and Steven Gerrard played, you know, like he was sort of twenty eight again. He did, and didn't he? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. So mm-hmm. it was. I mean, in that, in that respect, and of course, we've mentioned Steven Pienaar, who was a shadow of himself. And although Ross is a young lad and naturally very fit, I don't think he was quite match ready. He didn't have that sharpness, and we didn't see, unfortunately, what what he's all about. Um, so there were just too many sort of question marks in, in a fitness sense over Everton's key men. Yeah, um, and they just couldn't get the passing game going. I think they missed Seamus Coleman incredibly. You know. I was going to ask yeah. you about him. He, yeah,
1: he is. He has been such a tremendous player, hasn't he? He's blo- hasn't he, Kevin? Your mm. fellow at yeah. Republic of Ireland All- international of, of, of Seamus. Um He's really been a fantastic player this season. Oh, yeah. Made more yeah. so now by his absence, I suppose.
2: I think that was probably the, the, the biggest loss of the night, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I think Sissoko was probably Everton's, Liverpool's weakling mm. and I think he could have been exploiting. I think if they'd have had Coleman and Morales down that side, yeah. I think that yeah. they'd have had real joy out of the game. I really do think that, but... I, again, you you give credit to uh, to to Brendan Rodgers for for his game plan, how he approached it. Mm. But Coleman this season, not just, not just this season, toward the back end of sure, last season, Christmas sure. onwards, he, yeah. he's had a wonderful year. He had yes. a wonderful 2013. Yeah. Sheamus did. I said he's I said he's probably the best right back in the Premier yeah. League, and I'll stand yeah. by that yeah. for totally because of how well he's played from a creative point of view, goal scoring and defensively. And yeah. he's quick to point out the influence that Tony Hibberts had on him in that right back position because. Tony's one of the best one-on-one markers you're, you're going to get in the sure, division and he's yes. learnt from from Tony here but he's also got his natural attacking yeah, game which is yeah. the full-back needs yeah. and uh, I've been very impressed and I'm just impressed with his attitude and the way that he'd gone about yeah. it and obviously playing alongside him when he was a young lad he missed out on quite a few games for Ireland when I was involved there because Trapattoni didn't want to pick him because no. he felt he was inexperienced. Felt he was a right-sided midfield player when he was always a right back, but he just needed to work maybe on his defensive side, and yes.
1: he's done that. Yeah, indeed. And in fact, he's uh, he set a record, Greg, hasn't he, for uh, six goals from open play for a fullback this season. Which uh... yeah,
3: yeah. If the one thing that you know he, he's transformed this season, it was he was always good at getting, obviously, getting forward as one of yeah. his main attributes, and, and yeah. he added the defensive steel to that. But maybe sometimes when he got through, he beat his man and got into the. Penalty area with the keeper staring him down. His finishing didn't have the, the conviction maybe that you'd like, but this season... Yeah. He's finishing like a, a top centre forward um, from is. any angle, yeah. you know, any distance. And yeah. I think it was just a case of getting a bit of belief in himself in front of goal. And yeah. he backs himself all the time. No, and it's a wonderful thing to see and uh, just underlines what, what a
1: miss he was, really. Yeah, I think somebody called him Seamus Goldman, didn't they? <laughs> Quite yeah. right too, yeah. But now bringing James Pearce in uh, for Liverpool, it was a fantastic night, wasn't it? And I, I would think a great confidence booster for the rest of the season, James.
0: Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, I think it was beyond every Copyright's world expectations. I think most people turned up expecting it to be a really tight, edgy encounter. There were only one point between the, the sides in the table, but um, Liverpool absolutely blew Everton away in that first 45 minutes. I think, as the guys have touched on already, I think it was the energy and the intensity yeah. and of the way yeah. Liverpool started the game, just never ever allowed Everton to settle. We've seen this season how well Everton passed the ball and how well they keep possession, but. Liverpool just shut down space all over the pitch. I thought John Flanagan was outstanding yes. Right back, never gave Pinar yeah. a second. He had a great derby a Goodison mm. as he did, well. Didn't he did. He did. Yeah, you, I mean he grew up, you know, a few hundred yards from the ground you know, he it's ingrained in him what this fixture <laughs> means to yeah. everyone and I think you you saw that desire and it was it was replicated all over the pitch. I mean there was one one occasion when when Suarez chased down Tim Howard and forced him to aimlessly kick out for a throw, that's and you, right, could, yes. you could see Brendan Rodgers kind of shaking his fists in delight on the sidelines because that was clearly the game plan for Liverpool was to was to force Everton back, force mm. mistakes, and then and then capitalise. And Liverpool did that brilliantly in that first half, and it was the game was effectively over before the break.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, with Sterling now recapturing the form we saw of him once before, they've, it's not the SAS, it's the SSS, isn't it? <laughs> Plus Coutinho behind yeah. them, which th- seems to be a wonderful way for them to go. Mm. Would you say that?
0: Yeah. To? Oh, it's, I mean, as, as an attacking force in Liverpool, have been irresistible this season. You know, the, the, the one thing that's let them down has, has been defensive frailties and. Mm. Uh, You know they have looked vulnerable at the back. I think a lot of that's probably down to the the injuries. You you, you look at last night and they probably had effectively a first choice back four missing with no Johnson, no Enrique, no Agger, yeah. That's got
1: to be said. You talk about Everton, Mm. but Liverpool had a lot of players missing. But
0: but yeah, I mean, I think I I saw a stat that Liverpool have scored as many first half goals this season as Man United have scored in total. Oh right. And uh, you know I think that that shows the firepower Mm. Brendan Rodgers has got at his disposal because you've got. You've got Suarez who's in the form of his life, 23 Premier League goals already yeah. on course to break the, the top-flight record. record. You've got yeah. Sturridge has just carried on from where he left off since he's come back from his injuries. I think 16 goals and 16 starts, and and, and Coutinho. I think that was a, a big bonus yeah. uh, in the derby. The fact that he's he's had a quiet season by mm. by his uh, high standards, but he you know he picked the perfect night to oh, yeah. to rediscover his his golden touch, some of his passing. And and you, you touched on Raheem Sterling as well because you know he's another player who. You know, you rewind probably two or three months, and he was struggling for confidence, and yeah. and you wondered, uh, you know, people people were starting to ask questions about his his, his future in the side. But uh, you know, he's credit to Brendan Rodgers because he's managed mm. to get the best out of Raheem Sterling, and I yeah. think he, he's back now at that level. He was Just, out well, something you,
2: you mentioned about John Flanagan at the start, though, James. Well, and the thing is, like, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily match fit. He'd had a little bit of spell yes, out of the team yes. as well, so he. We, Everton probably just had too many that weren't quite mm-hmm. right, I think, on the day, but I was really impressed with John Flanagan, just the way that he went about it, you know, because he, he wouldn't have been right. And I think he went through the game probably a little bit on adrenaline. He was yeah. taken off towards the end. But his energy that he provided for the side as well, um, I, I was so impressed with him. That yeah. was where I think that it must have been a bit of a you know, a bit of a gamble for, for um, Brendan Rodgers to be playing him yeah. and in such a big game and yes. I think he was outstanding. I've yeah. been really impressed when I've seen him playing. Am
1: I mm. right in saying, James, that he's, um, because of his grandfather, he's eligible for the Republic of Ireland, isn't he? Uh, do,
0: do you know what? I, I don't actually think he is. He's I have not. A, I, 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 read, that, I read it, read it. Yeah, do you know all. what? Those stories, have been doing the rounds. Right. I remember when I checked it out, I was, I was informed that, uh, ah. that... No, he's not, actually. No, ah. he's... Uh, We'll find a way. We <laughs> yes, will find, way. find a, a way. will a way. Creative Guinness will arrive tomorrow. <laughs> but, um, but no as, as Kevin said, I think you know his performance was a, was a huge mm. positive for Liverpool yeah. because you know he'd been out injured since uh, kind of mid December and only had you know ten fifteen minutes at Bournemouth in the FA Cup tie and yeah. to and to, to not really be match fit and to come into a game of that magnitude and, and perform like that and you know you t- we're talking about a player there who you know you, you go back. Three or four months, and he, you know, he hadn't played a Premier League game in, in well over a year, and you know, the, the Liverpool were looking to send him out on loan, and there were no, there were no takers. You know, he, yeah. there was I think Brendan Rodgers said there was one League One club that came in for him. Yes, it's remarkable. And, uh, isn't it? <laughs> that was the main reason why he was still at Anfield. But he, you know, he, Brendan Rodgers played him at Arsenal. He, he did well that day. Threw him into the Derby at Goodison. Yeah, And then, uh, you know, he, he got a run at left back, proved himself. Unfortunate with the injury, but, I, I you know, especially with Glenn Johnson being out, exactly. I can see John Flanagan mm. nailing down that right back spot, certainly yeah. for the rest of this season.
1: Yeah, indeed. And as you said, for a lad who was born on the doorstep to actually get in the team and play for Liverpool with all the foreign stars, it's remarkable, isn't it, really, in this day and age?
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I spoke to John after the game, and you could. You know the uh, the smile on his face kind of told the story really just how much yeah. it, it meant to him because uh, yeah. you know he's grown up in a family of of, of Reds and you know his uh, his dad was was on Liverpool's books when he was, when he was young and didn't didn't quite make the grade and. I know from speaking to him before he said, you know, his, his dad's played a, a big influence in in, in his career and mm. trying to ensure that he succeeds where his his, his dad just missed out. And you know, I think he's got a great chance now to to yeah. push on and establish himself at Anfield.
1: Yeah, indeed. And Greg, um, where do you? I mean, as I say, we're talking before Everton have played Aston Villa, but for the season, for the rest of the season, this is this is more than just a defeat for Everton, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it must have been um, it must have been so morale damaging as well. Mm. Um, so how do you? I mean, Roberto Martinez is probably a great man to repair that, isn't he? He's got a. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think I think that's the, you know if you're looking for the positives, which Roberto Martinez is want to do because that's his his whole sort of mindset and disposition is to be a very positive, forward thinking, pragmatic mm. manager, and you know he'll he'll be best equipped to do that and and to raise. His he's players. a good communicator, he's isn't a, he? Yeah, he's he's a very charismatic manager and he's mm. been so popular across the supporter base and, and in the dressing room already. And I don't think it'll be as much of a problem lifting the players. I think the fans might take a bit longer to get it out of the system because they were going there, albeit with the caveat the injuries were so untimely, with a semblance of belief that this could be mm. the time that they'd you know, get their first win at Anfield since '99, but it didn't happen. You know, goodness knows if, if it will. You know, if it just seems well. to be a mental block about on field now. But yes. that's, I mean, that that's the derby. Derby's over this season. You know, what isn't over by any means is that race for the top four. You know, the, the point gap is four points between the two clubs. That can disappear in a couple of weekends. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Everton need to realise that. And as much as they can come out the blocks flying against Villa, it, the crowd will be important. Everton, you know, Goodison can be a really intimidating sort of bare pit of an arena, and it can be very quiet. Yes. and I think that probably it will be both on Saturday it will probably start off a bit quiet and grumpy and hurt which is understandable but what the what they really need is, is to get behind the players it sounds like a cliche but it's mm-hmm. true because they'll be hurting as much as, as the fans you know it was a Kevin mentioned earlier Phil Jagielka you know top pros have been at the club for a long time Tim Howard you know and they care about Everton Football Club and they'll be hurting professionally it was yeah. a I wouldn't say humiliating, but it was certainly a chastening evening. Word know. I used actually. Yeah. It was chasing. very it was well, chasing. Obviously, you know, two <laughs> words metalite. <laughs> because yeah. no, it was a, It was. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know, Kevin. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. If, don't think you were ever on the back. Well, you wouldn't. No, have been on the I, back think of, I, I think
2: I don't. think what it is as well, great. I think you're looking at it from from the weekend. You mentioned there about the supporters have got to lift them. Perhaps it could be the other way around. The team has got to fire themselves to get the crowd back back on yeah. side yeah. a little bit. I think yeah. that's sometimes, as a player, you. You you talk about these sort of things and you say it, but you're going out, you play another game. But yeah. I think genuinely, I think if you take that step back, I think that the, the players probably do all all the support or something. I think for this weekend and perhaps maybe in the coming weeks to try and lift the spirits again, because again, you know, you talk about yeah. the, how how this might affect morale, this this yeah. defeat, and you know, this only four points behind Liverpool at the end of the day, so they're, yeah. they're certainly not out of it, but. This could be that could have been the key game that yeah. could damage them. So well, it's about how they fire well, against them. Well, by Miller. the
1: time this show is aired for the first time, we'll know what's happened against Aston Villa. Um, so I'm talking to Kevin Kilban, to Greg O'Keefe, and James Pierce. We'll be talking more to the three gentlemen after this break. Don't go away.
0: This is Strictly John Keith. City
1: Talk 105.9 Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. I'm talking to Kevin Kilban, James Pearce and Greg O'Keefe and I mentioned before the break uh, about Kevin's book which is called Killer K-I-L-L-A, his autobiography. Um... And I suppose, Kev, after a career spanning, what, 17 years, 612 appearances for nine clubs and 110 appearances for Ireland, you've got quite a story to tell and uh, it is a very readable book. I have to say at the outset too that you and your wife Laura have a daughter, Elsie, who has Down syndrome and all royalties from the book are going to the Down Syndrome Association and Down Syndrome Ireland, for whom I know you give as much time and support as you possibly can. Um, but it's a very readable book. One... one of them that caught my attention was uh, Sam Allardyce, who I hadn't realised was uh, had once been Preston's youth coach. And he got you all together one day and said, uh, "One of you has been selected for the England under eighteen squad." And there was a great murmuring Who it would be? Then he said, "It's Kevin." And you said, "I don't want to be." <laughs> Tell yeah, us about. Yeah, that. it probably
2: didn't work out quite like we were actually playing at Marine. Right. We were playing at Marine, obviously local team to here. We used to be in the Lancashire Lancashire Youth League. We were yeah. in the B team at the time, uh-huh. and we won. The League that year, um, we'd had a really good season, worked really well for us, and we 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 managed to clinch the title at Marine. Yeah. So after the game, Big Sam then made the you know the uh, the announcement oh, that one of us had been yeah. called up. So I went home from the game that night, and I was frightened about to say anything. You know, I, I was. I always wanted to play for Ireland growing up. I've, I think everybody probably knows that now, but. I I went to him the following day. We were in for normal training, things like this. Went to see him the following day. And uh, we were sat across a a desk, probably not too far away from where we're sat here now from each other now, John. and. Big Sam leant for me over the desk when I told him I didn't want to play for England. I wanted to play for Ireland, and he was—he was going to come. For me. I thought he was going to—I thought he was going to smack me. I really, really? did. I thought he was going to give us a crack. He kicked me out of his office. He said he'd worked so hard all his career to uh, to get yeah. the opportunity to play for England, and he never had that opportunity. And I'm turning it down before my I, crazy I even began. You could
1: see that, couldn't you? Yes. I could.
2: I could. Yeah. I understand it now. And I'm—you thi- yeah. know—when you look back, yeah. Um, but I didn't want to go. That was basically yeah. it. And I mean, I was fortunate. Sam spoke to. Um, to Mick McCarthy when Mick took the island job not long after that and I was involved in the under 21s in Mick's first game right. while I was still at Preston so yeah. it did did have an happy ending I suppose in the end but um But you did yeah.
1: actually go to join up with the squad on, on Yeah I, went for, advice, I, I, I ended up
2: training. train Sam said to me go down and train yeah. with them for a few days mm. so we trained for a few days down at Lilleshall um and there was a few like Danny Murphy was involved then Kevin Davis. Uh, there was a, there was a, you know it was a, yeah. it, they're obviously all my age group. So it was a, it was all them lads that were involved at that particular yeah. time, yeah. But you realised it wasn't really for you. Well, I, I just it did. I didn't. Yeah. I once yeah. I would oh, never yeah. say my heart's never been in f- when I've begin to go and w- to go to training but it, it wasn't I wanted no. to, it was always I wanted to play for Ireland and that was it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well you say in the book um I should have been honored but my my heart sank I wasn't happy. Mm. I was Irish after all. My entire upbringing had been shaped by Irish culture and lifestyle. Yeah. There's only one team I wanted to play for that was the Republic of Ireland. See people uh, it, it's all about emotion as well as geography yeah. isn't it Kevin. If you were brought up in an Irish Family, yeah, well, and culture—that's what you would feel, isn't
2: it? I, I know, and I, and I probably get asked this question more than most as well about you know the uh, pe- players becoming nationalized and you know yeah. switching allegiances and yeah. playing for one country another. And yeah. I probably have feelings for that reason. I, I can look at it from my own point of view that I was lucky—I was picked to play for Ireland and I managed to—and I managed to you know have a successful career with, with playing times for Ireland. It's
1: not bad, is it? No, you made yeah, the right decision. yeah, quite fortunate
2: <laughs> I was. And whether or not I'd have ever played for England in the future, I don't know. You know, you don't know when you yeah, were young, but You, you don't, don't know. No. But that's where I wanted. That's where I wanted my career path to go, and I was lucky that it did turn out that way. But I do have a problem with with um, players playing for one country, then switching allegiances, ah, yes, and yes. then trying to work work the, the rules. I do have a problem with that. I do because I think it, it isn't right, and I think that playing for your national side is is about what you mentioned there about the feeling and where you feel mm. that, that that you do belong. It's a hard thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's got to be that. I think yeah. you do, and for everything that football is about. You know, winning games and it's about um, getting the best out yourself for your career. I think playing international football is slightly different from that. that, That's my own personal Mm, belief on that. I'm
1: sure it must be. He must have got great pride in turning out every for all of those 110 games, really, I suppose.
2: Yeah, to play once. I think to, probably the most special thing was, was to play at Lansdowne Road. I think it was to play... I always say you know, playing once for your country is fabulous, but mm. to play so many times is great. But playing at Lansdowne, certainly the old Lansdowne, yeah, I um, it yeah. was it was great. Yeah, yeah, that was great.
1: The new Aviva's not bad, is it? No, wonderful. So, brilliant, brilliant stadium, stadium yeah. yeah. Greg and James, you must have thought about this. Uh, Kevin raised it about players now... Uh, the sort of multinational <laughs> options they seem. That Janusas United, as mm. uh, they're talking about him, eligible for four or five countries. You know, it's getting a bit silly, isn't
0: it? It is getting silly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're talking about a young player with absolutely no, no real links or allegiances to England. So you know, it's a bizarre one. And as Kevin said, <clears> you know, the, <throat> the country you play for should always be what, what's in your heart. And you know, Kevin followed his dreams with Republic of Ireland and a hugely successful career. Yeah. And it is, um, I think they do need to tighten up the rules because it it's ridiculous. I, I think there's one big
2: problem on it, though, is if you don't get picked for a country. If I never got picked for Ireland and then all of a sudden I get a call up that's elsewhere. So that's, that's the thing I understand. But I think once you make your choice, I think you've got to stick with that. You know, I've seen... Mm. I see the, the big one I see at the moment is how Diego Costa who's playing at Atletico Madrid. He's played for Brazil and now all of a sudden he's been nationalised in Spanish and he can yeah. play because he's only played a friendly for Brazil. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, that for me is ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculous. If you've played under-21 football... Uh, and above, that that should be where you, where you, where you should stick, that's my own personal you, opinion you on it. You see it,
3: don't you, a lot in, in rugby, um, both both codes of rugby and cricket, albeit to a slightly lesser extent, but I think, that's in that respect, football is different, and it is a lot more tribal when it's at a club level, when it's at an international level, and, you know, Senna was another one at, at Villarreal, wasn't he, you ended yes, up playing for Spain, right. and, you know, I just, I think I remember when Mikel Arteta was at Everton, and, you know, there was a to a degree, tongue in cheek, but there was a genuine sort of debate on whether he, point, yes. he should play for England because mm. he'd been yeah. in England for a long time. And let's be realistic: this is a young man from the Basque region of Spain. Yeah. It just yes. wouldn't have been right for him to play for yeah. England, and and he politely declined. And you know, Mikel Arteta was a wonderful is a wonderful yeah. player,
2: and he'd have got in the England team yeah, again. He you know, know he'd have got yeah. in the England team. That yeah. is a thing. Might but, never yeah. get a Spain Totally cup agree. Because totally of agree. the
3: circumstances of of Jabi yeah. and Iniesta. Yeah. but that's just. He won't be selected, like like you're saying, he didn't get the chance, but he still wouldn't play for England. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I, d- I d- think the rules do need tightening up because if you look at someone like Raheem Sterling, and he's you know, he's played for England and he's and he's been a regular all the way th- you know through the age groups and under 21s. yet he could still turn yes. around tomorrow and say, actually, I'll play for Jamaica yes. instead. Yes. and because it because the the one cap he's got for England wasn't a competitive it was a friendly fixture. match, yeah. So and that to me that can't be right.
1: Well, there's a there's a a little on the back of your book, Kevin. There's a picture of you with a big. Uh, with a big bubble, uh, and it's quoting the joke. It's been a bit of a joke over the years. You just need to have drunk a pint of Guinness to get called up to the Republic of <laughs> Ireland squad. But I think a lot of the English-born lads in the squad have a strong affinity with Ireland. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubting their their commitment. John Aldridge is a classic example, yeah. isn't he, really? No, I, I think mean, he was surprised to get called up, but once he was, he scored a lot of goals, didn't he? Yeah, again, but John Aldridge, like... he.
2: He, he bought into everything and he bought into how it was. And, and I mean, he had a, a, a very successful Irish yeah. career. Jason McIntyre yeah. was another one. Yes. is obviously a Liverpool yeah, yeah. lad as well, but yeah. we had so many. But if I look at myself, there was there was lads at the time that were playing for Ireland, Gary Breen, David Connolly, both very similar to me, wanted to play for Ireland. Lee Carlsey was another, you know, he, mm. he they wanted to play for Ireland. And um, it's a difficult one. It is a difficult yeah. one. And I, and I go back to my point is that, you know, it might be an option for you. You've never, you've never had a, a, an international call up. All of a sudden, yeah. you're 26, 27 years of age, and you get the op- op- opportunity to play for a country. Have that call up, and if you go into it with pride and you want to play and you and yes. you buy into everything, and, I think that's fair, yeah, fair game. Right.
1: And of course, Mark Lawrence and before you, yeah, Aston yep. Bond, yeah. exactly the same. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, also in the book, Kevin, um, there's there's two people who've, <laughs> to put it mildly, have gone on to be prominent in football. Uh, David Beckham and David Moyes. Talking yeah. about Bex, he, um, there's a story about Beckham and an old car in your book. Because you were a teammate. He was on loan at Preston, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, I wasn't... Well, I was a teammate. I was only in the youth team at the time. Well, yeah, I, was, yeah. I think I was 17, I think. Right, so I hadn't yeah. yet made my first team debut at that yeah. time. And he uh, he was obviously brought in from, from Man United. Yeah, yeah. he was... Uh, he was very quiet, actually, very, very quiet. And I suppose it's, you, you, I see it so often as well, we saw many other lads, they come down from the Premier League and go on loan to League 1 and 2. We were Division 3, Club League 2 as it is now, yeah, at that yeah. particular time. Yeah. And he came in and, I mean, he made an immediate impression, you could see his ability, but he came in in this brand new golf, which was probably the best car in the car pocket it was that time. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, lads were all in, oh yes, lovely car, whatever it was. Yeah. He was only like 18, I think himself, 19 at the time himself. He went, yeah, but, you know, it's... Perhaps not quick enough, not fast enough for me. I want to get something that's a bit more sporty. And we were all looking at him you know that he's got this brand new golf. I never even had a car at the time, so <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was funny, you know. You know, again, it's nice to see the way that he's developed as well, and it's yeah. nice to know that my hometown club, Preston, that. Um, they, we helped him out in in some small way in his career as well. Yeah,
1: they're they're not doing too bad this season. Preston, are they?
2: Yeah, in the top six now, yeah. um, fourth in the, in the league, having a good run. At it uh, the other night they drew at Bradford, had a yeah. nil nil draw at Bradford, but going well. Simon Grace, I've been really pleased with um, mm. with the appointment in Simon Grace and getting yeah. him in, and uh, I think I think the, towards the end of the season now, I think they got a good push, and hopefully, you know, certainly the playoffs is definitely a realistic target, whether or not they can get close enough to Brentford, Leighton, Orient and Wolves in the top two positions, but hopefully top six and who knows in the playoffs.
1: They're one of those clubs that everybody everybody seems to like Preston, aren't they? They're they're one of the greatest, they're one of the original 12, of course, but they're one of the clubs people have a fondness for, aren't they, Greg and James, Preston? Oh, definitely.
3: I think in a sense, not dissimilar to another of Kevin's clubs in Everton, that Mm. you struggle to find people with... You know, apart from Carpites, of course. Yeah, well, no, I'll that's it, true. A bad yeah. word to say about mm. them, but no, it was. I think there was probably a mixed feelings over the previous manager yeah. at uh, at Preston, but then you know the, the current incumbent of the hot seat seems to mm. have got everyone behind them, and mm. you know, they're playing really well. And of course, David Moyes's link there in the past, Evertonians were always sort of keen to hear the fondness that he had yeah. for North End. So now we yeah. wish them well
1: this season. Yeah. Yeah. And great Liverpool connections too, with uh, Shankly and Peter Thompson, Gordon Milne. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's been a great. Uh, there's been great links between the club and Merseyside, hasn't there, James?
0: Yeah, it certainly. Has yeah, going back a, a long way. And I know when uh, I went to report on Liverpool's FA Cup title there a few years back, mm. and uh, real real friendly club, lovely people. And I think you know everyone in football would like to see Preston doing well.
1: They certainly would, yeah. Now, uh, uh, Kevin, Dave, um, Greg mentioned David Beckham. Um, you know him as well as anybody. Uh, you played with him, didn't you, with Preston? Beckham. No, de- uh, no oh, David, Moyes, um, David Moyes. David Moyes, sorry,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, David Moyes, yes, yes. I, did, I mean, I've known him for since I was 16 when he first came in as captain of Preston, yeah. He was a big influence, huge influence, and you yeah. know, I, I really want him to succeed there at Man United. I know he's having, he has had a bit of a tough time of it up to now, but I would like him to succeed, yeah. and I think he did
1: great things at Everton. Because you say in your book how he took time out after training to help develop your game.
2: Yeah, he did. I mean, you know, you're 16, 17, 18, and I think the club had high hopes for me at that particular time was starting to develop into um, into a half-decent player, I suppose you could say. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he did. I mean, I, I think back now and I look at myself and, you know, how physically demanding it is a training. Mentally in the afternoon, you, you do switch off and you, yeah. you want that downtime. But he was prepared to train, work as hard as anybody else because he was in the first team at the time and yet he'd still come out for afternoon sessions with me, work, working on so many different things, technical, sure. yeah. you know... Um, Game sense, working on positional play, all these sort of things, and he took the time to do that with me when I was yeah. a kid. So you know, he's someone that I, I admire for for how he's gone about things over the years. But certainly, what he did for me in my in the early mm. stage of my career, I'm I'm, I'm indebted to him. Really,
1: yeah. I mean, he's he's had his uh, he's had his troubles at Man United, and of yeah. course, the glare of the world is on is on United. But yeah, how do you think he will come? Well, when he went in. Uh, would he would he expect he would expect those players to perform for him as they did for Alex wouldn't he yeah exactly and I mean he's gone into the
2: club and I think in and around the club there's been question marks over quite a few players for a long time I know he's going into a championship winning side but there's been question marks over a, a number of players yeah. and he's given them the chance and that's the thing that he has done uh, rightly or wrongly he's given them the chance he's given them the chance to impress him um and I think that they just haven't performed I think they've been very poor at times some of yeah. the players and, um, you know, I think when you're managing a club like that, I think he's probably gone into United and I think he's thought, at Everton, we had equally as good of players. I really do believe that. I think he's gone in and thought, look, I've got technically really good players. I know you, you should take out like the the Roonies, the Van Persies, the Vinny I think he, if you look at the Everton side and some of the players, it's feasible to say a lot of those a lot of those Everton players could get in the Man United side. Yeah. You couldn't rule that out.
1: So mm. I think he's probably gone in thinking I'll give him the chance, and they just haven't performed for him. Yeah, and he's starting to build his own team. Matters arrived now. Yes, and of course Van Persie's back, isn't he? Yes, so.
2: that's right. And you, you know, again, you see how yeah. the end of the transfer window is going out after, but how the end of the transfer window pans
1: out for him. Well, indeed, yeah. I'm talking to Kevin Kilban, James Pierce, and Greg O'Keefe. will be back. For the final segment after this break. Don't go away. This is
0: Strictly John Keith on. City Talk
1: 105.9. Hello, welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, former Everton and Ireland winger Kevin Kilban and Liverpool Echo Everton and Liverpool correspondents Greg O'Keefe and James Pearce. Uh, Kevin Kilban's biography, Killer, we've been talking about. And part of uh, of the book, uh, Kevin, obviously, is um, the uh, rather sad for Everton um, clash with Villarreal in the Champions League qualifier after um, Everton had, uh, st- well, it staggered everybody, I think, yeah. by finishing in the top four. Um, you talk in the book about it. What are your what are your sort of initial recollections of the Villarreal saga, as it were?
2: We, we probably lost, well, we did. We lost the game at Goodison. We lost the, the tie at Goodison because... 1-2, yeah, 2-1. Two, two, yeah, we did, and, and obviously losing the game, but I think that we just didn't, there was so much hype around that game. Uh, I know myself; I didn't play particularly well, probably in the two games, really. But I think that the team—I think we froze a bit. I really do think Gee, that. Yeah. I think that the hype and the expectation that was surrounding that game, um, and we lost it at Goodison. I think we proved that we we could we could have outplayed them at times. I think we proved that out there. But I just think on the day we were probably a little bit in awe of the tie—not so much of Villarreal, but just of the tie itself and the and, and the, the gravity to. of that. Yeah, that, yes, that fixture, and I yes. think that's what perhaps um, uh, lost us the tie over the two games at Goodison. And mm. I think probably more and more than that, it was the first half, first half performance. We just didn't get out of the blocks at no. all, didn't get going at them. And uh, if you're judging that, saying how the Merseyside derby went the other day, you know, it's like <laughs> the, yeah. how quickly Liverpool come out and stopped them. We just didn't get, we didn't get at them. And it was very unlike the, the way that we'd been playing the previous season.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, in the second leg in Spain, um, you came up against... Uh, uh, Luigi Colina the referee in his last yeah. game as it as it turned out and uh, do you do you know I mean it was allegedly for a foul by Bent but do you know why he disallowed the Duncan Ferguson no header? it was
2: never said to us it was no. never said to us and you know Duncan scored a perfectly good header and at that time we were right on top we were really on top in the game as well Duncan yeah. got the header you know it would have taken the tie to extra time yeah and um it was just again just a big disappointment that the goals disallowed i mean obviously we scored they scored a goal very late yeah, on was, um, that was another two because, one, because we because we were going because we were going for it but that that changed the whole course of it that, that would have changed the whole course of the tie that and we were really on top and you know, Kalina deprived us. I think we yeah. all felt that way at the time. But you know, I've had a few de- the massive decisions that have gone against me, meeting me playing career. So yeah. it was just one of those days. I think I that just yeah. didn't
1: happen. In the end, you have to be philosophical to drive you mad, wouldn't it? You... Oh,
2: it is. And you know, you look at it and you think it's it's still huge talking points, time and time again. Referees' decisions. It always yeah. is, and it, and it's yeah. going to continue to be until perhaps something is done regarding you know yeah. more. More help with, or certainly a lot more help that they need with regarding
1: uh, regarding decision making. Indeed, I suppose, Greg, this uh, that header uh, was almost on a par with Brian Hamilton's disallowed goal in the against Liverpool in seventy seven semi final I mean, if it had gone in as the Hamilton goal, um, it would have. Uh, who knows where Everton would have got to? Well, that's it. I mean, it,
3: it is a case of <clears throat> ifs and buts. But so but dot 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 that <laughs> yeah, it could have. It could really have changed Everton's fate um, if they'd managed to get mm. into the competition. All yes. of a sudden, there's the influx. I think they talk about £30 million. Yeah. Is it that it tends to generate just by getting into yeah. the group stages? And a lot of money. Possibly giving David Moyes that opportunity that he always spoke about and, and craved to actually be able to invest in a, a few players w- with in certain positions, maybe, with the ability to help them compete f- regularly for the top, top four yes. and to maybe cement themselves in, in Europe. And it didn't happen, and it's just, it's just a feeling of of injustice. Yeah, you know, as I'm, I, you know, goodness knows how Kevin must have felt. I can only imagine. But you know, the supporters were just sickened by cleaning, and Everton supporters will tell you a long litany of of when they felt hard done hard done by by referees. But then, I suppose spare a thought for Kevin, because then you've got like on the international front, Thierry Henry goal, yeah, oh, say goal yeah. and things like that. So I think yeah. it's impressive that you managed to remain quite uh, balanced on refs, but. You know, overall, yeah, it was a massive disappointment. But, you know, that's in the past now and there's another opportunity to possibly get in the top four and, and there's a different manager and just going back to that, let's hope that it's something they can achieve and maybe in the future the gravity of the tie doesn't quite overwhelm the dressing room like perhaps it did at home that time because yeah. I think as as Kevin says, that's when it was sadly lost. And yeah. you could see that as well when they went in the in the UEFA Cup latterly and they went away to Fiorentina and just didn't really show up, and then a goodison yeah. battered them. But you yeah. know, that's maybe that's part of the experience of European.
1: Football. Well, I suppose James playing in Europe is something you have to get attuned to. And if a club like Liverpool have been in it since Boadicea was a girl, you know, apart from the time when they were banned, um, I suppose we're it's it's so intermittent, isn't it, that it's difficult mm. to 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 find a a European kind of habit I don't know whether yeah. that makes sense but for Liverpool of course it's uh, it's almost de rigueur to be in it isn't it
0: yeah I think it is a very different type of football isn't it I think yeah we saw under you know, Rafa Benitez was probably the perfect example during his time at Liverpool I mean the consistency liverpool showed in Europe was was amazing really you know not yeah. only to to win it in 2005 but then to get to the final again in athens 2 years later yes. and they consistently reached the, you know the quarters and the semis yes. yet you compare that to their league form yeah and uh you know benitez was you know the the, the tactician who who loved those you know those tactical battles in europe yet yeah. you know the hurly burly of premier league yeah. football liverpool were quite often found wanting and it is a very different
1: yeah. Type of I mean, challenge. Some of it's quite boring to be honest, mm. isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes they're like games of chess, aren't they? And yes, you know, exactly. w- w- waiting for your opponent to make that yeah. move and then and then pounce and the you know the, the, the tempo and intensity of European games tend to be yeah. very different and uh you know certainly I think if Liverpool or Everton, if one of them does win that race for fourth this season, you're gonna need a, a bigger squad as well because, you know, the the demands it places on on you is
1: uh, is much increased. Yeah. Mm. Kevin, sorry, Kevin, did you want to come in? Sorry.
0: No, I just wanted to,
2: it's really interesting. I think of players, we had so many players in, in our ta- in our uh, team at that particular time that were international footballers. So yes. you, it's a very similar game, international football, from European football when you're playing in the Champions League. But I think it's right what James said, as a team... We've, we were so used to playing a certain way together, yeah. we hadn't had that experience as a side together to no. really go and, you know, approach a European-type game against another team. Indeed. That was the... I think that's the problem that you do yeah. find it, when yeah. you, people talk about getting that experience. Football is still football, whichever language you're talking about. But when you're a team that plays a certain way in Premier League, whereas Liverpool and the Everton... Sorry, the Uniteds, the Chelsea, all these teams over the years, they've all got an experience together of, of yes. approaching European football. And, sure. we, and of course, we didn't have that.
1: No. Exactly, James. A lot's been mentioned about Luis Suarez, of course, who is having a fantastic season, and he signed his new contract. But how much is that tied to Liverpool making the Champions League? I mean, if if for any reason they didn't, would that lengthen the odds or, or reduce the odds rather against Suarez leaving? Do you think?
0: Yeah, I think certainly if Liverpool were to miss out on the top four, you mm. know, his future will then become the subject of a lot of speculation next summer because. he's shown consistently this season he's in in that top bracket probably in the top three players on the planet and a player of that that ability who's so gifted deserves to be playing at the highest level and there's only so long you can hold on to a a top class player like that if you're not competing with the best so I think I think Liverpool's hierarchy are under no illusions that you know Luis Suarez may have signed that you know four-year extension to his contract but uh you know, if he is gonna, if, if the best years of his career are going to be at Anfield, then Liverpool need to ensure that they're, you know, back rubbing shoulders with Europe's elite on a regular
1: basis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really has put the, his troubles behind him, Suarez. You've got to admire him for that, and also admire the way Brendan Rodgers handled the situation that this in the summer. I mean, he he looks arguably could be the best player in the world at the moment, yeah, he? it's, um, oh, well, it's... maybe Ronaldo and Messi, yeah, but, but I mean, I he's up there. You certainly it? have
0: to put him in that bracket, I mean, you know, he's on, I think it's, was it 23 Premier League goals now, in 18 yeah. games, I mean, no, no one's,
1: 38 in 38, yeah, something like that.
0: No, no, no just... one's achieved that kind of ratio, in no. Premier League history, he's on course to break Andy Cole, and Alan Shearer's, yeah. Uh, top flight scoring record and it's just been an amazing transformation there it's hard to believe that you think back it was only six seven months ago that this is a fellow who was a prior at Anfield he was Indeed. he was banished to train on his own at Melwood he came out and gave interviews publicly criticizing Brendan Rodgers accusing him of breaking promises and mm. you know I for one certainly thought they'd reached the point of no return I, think, I remember yes. covering I was I was with Liverpool on their pre-season tour of of Australia and Asia and it, uh you just thought there was no way back, you know, yeah. with, with with player power these days, you just thought they're going to have to cave in and and let him go. But uh, you know, huge credit to Brendan Rodgers and and the ownership because they dug their heels in. Brendan Rodgers sat him down, explained to him what he was hoping to achieve at Anfield this season, talked him around, and you know, it's it's just been an absolute c- complete turnaround. You know, yeah. to talk about you know, he was captain in the side when Steven Gerrard was out injured, and he's in he's, right. he's in the absolute. Form yeah. of his life and the, the fact that he signed that new contract, I think, does speak volumes for you know his op- obviously optimism for the, the direction Liverpool are heading in.
1: And found a guy who uh, seems to instinctively know where he is and vice versa, Daniel Sturridge.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting relationship that I think um, you you watch them on the pitch and some of the link-up play between them is is fantastic. Yeah. But you can also see it's a bit of a double act that, that's still. It's kind of you know. I think it's still a work in progress in some ways. I think it was interesting both at Bournemouth and against Everton that Suarez gave gave Sturridge both barrels uh, yes. at, when he fell. Oh, they have uh, a go at each yeah, other. Yeah, don't they, I think yeah. it's. It, I yeah. think
1: it's a volatile. Relationship. It is. It is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think. I think it is because um, you know. I think one thing you probably would have to say about Sturridge is is which is an area of improvement can be his decision making. Mm. I think sometimes sometimes he's so desperate to to do well that he takes on shots that were. Know, the one against Everton, which yeah. just which was just before he got got hauled off by Brendan Rodgers, was from an impossible angle where well, he, he had have. Coutinho and Suarez sure. queuing up for a tap in, and yeah. so I think things like that probably rile rile his teammates and the manager slightly. But you'd have to say that you know the the, the stats for Daniel Sturridge speak for themselves, exactly. and uh, yeah. you know it's just an, yeah. you know, Liverpool fans have been blessed with, with with some great strikers over the years, but it, it's rare for them to have two who, right. who are so prolific exactly. and.
1: You know, with those two up front, and can play together. I mean, yeah. you know, people talk about Fowler and Owen, but they never really played well together. No. These two dovetail fantastically. Yeah, they, don't they they
0: do, and you see that with you know, one of them will drop off into the space, and you know they're both they're both comfortable. You know, sure. good, good dropping yeah. out wide and, and pulling defenders into areas they don't want to be. And with with that kind of firepower, it gives Liverpool that ability to yeah. to win games when they're not even playing particularly yeah. well.
1: I just want to finish to talk to Kevin about uh, your new career, Kevin. I mean, hundred and twenty-one mm. appearances and five goals for Everton. Then it was Wigan, then spells at Hull, Huddersfield, Derby, and Coventry. You hung up your boots in twenty twelve, but now mm. you're making uh, an impact as a pundit, <laughs> radio and TV. And is it an to, impact? Is it a good you impact? Are, I mate, don't you know. No. An impact. no, you are. So, no, uh, I'm not just saying that you are. We, mm. the lads and I, were talking about it. Before you even arrived, um, you enjoy it, don't
2: you? I do. I love it. I, I really love. I love. I mean, it, it, it helps, of course, when you go into some wonderful games like the side Derby the other night. I've, yeah. I've seen so many great games. Um, Got a couple lined up, you know, got a couple of Champions League games that's lined up um, in February. And, and it is, it's it's brilliant, it's lovely. And I mean, again, you know, I'm very, very fortunate, very, very fortunate. So many players that come out of the game, the the opportunities that they decide not to take or whatever it is. And I just decided, look, I'll have a, I'll, I, will, I want to take six or eight months out. And I got asked to do a little bits for for radio and TV uh, towards the
1: end of last season. Yeah, and again, just very, very lucky, very, very, very fortunate. Absolutely great. Well, I'm sure you will go from strength to strength. And uh, your autobiography, it's titled Killer. It's published by Aurum Books in hardback at eighteen ninety nine. It's available in bookshops or as well on Amazon and it's a good read it really is a good read i think the
2: paperback's out very soon oh bro, the paperback's it? out very I think soon the paperback. i didn't know i'm sure that. it's february i think it's february right. it's coming Ovalier, out yeah. so they yeah. can
1: either have a hardback or a paperback we go
2: back to the name as well the, the name's poor and i accept the, the name's very poor i didn't know what to call we didn't have a clue what to call it but i couldn't actually call it killer as in K-I-double-L-E-R, because I you imagine looking book, yeah you look imagine like re- <laughs> listening that on the bookshelf somewhere when you're walking in so it to we, be <laughs> honest
1: even sending you an email i got worried about yeah that's right that's right yes
2: yeah we won't go there on that one really but no
1: his, uh, <laughs> his worldwide security yeah. dragness. Yeah. No, but it's great, and uh, I recommend it. And so, from Kevin Kilban, Greg O'Keefe, James Pearce, and myself, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith, goodbye.
0: Strictly John Key. Keith, City Talk 105.9.